Welcome to the Neshama Project Podcast, Episode 7. I'm Rabbi Ben Newman. Today I'm going to be talking about the counting of the Omer, which is the period of time between the holidays of Passover and Shavuot, and the particular spiritual power of, of this week. And I'll be reading several texts from several different time periods about the spiritual potency of this week, which is the week of chesed, love without limits. I'll also be ending this episode with a loving-kindness, or metta-meditation, from the Buddhist tradition. So let's start by discussing the Omer. What is the Omer, and what is the counting of the Omer? In Hebrew, it's Sfirat HaOmer, the counting of the Omer. The Omer is the seven-week period between the holidays of Passover and Shavuot. Passover being the holiday where we celebrate the freedom from Egypt, from the narrow places, from the places where we're enslaved. And Shavuot being the holiday where we receive revelation, we receive Torah symbolically, and we celebrate the receiving of the Torah historically that happened on Mount Sinai. Traditionally, Jews count literally count every day between Passover and Shavuot. This practice, or mitzvah, comes from the commandment in the Torah to count the 49 days beginning from the day on which the Omer, a sacrifice containing an Omer measure of barley, was offered in the temple in Jerusalem up until the day before an offering of wheat which was brought to the temple on Shavuot. The counting of the Omer begins on the second day of Passover, the 16th of Nisan, and ends the day before the holiday of Shavuot, which is the 50th day. The idea of counting each day represents a sort of a spiritual preparation and anticipation for the receiving of the Torah, which represents revelation and also represents the historical event when the Torah was given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai at the beginning of the month of Sivan, around the same time as this holiday, the holiday of Shavuot. This ritual has become particularly meaningful for the mystical tradition of Judaism, Kabbalah, where the 49 days is seen as a period of potential for inner growth. A period where one can work on their midot, uh, their good qualities or attributes or characteristics, through reflection and development of one aspect each day for the 49 days. In Jewish mysticism in Kabbalah, the sfirot, or the emanations which come from the infinite, each correspond to a quality of the universe, which is also a quality of the human character that we can cultivate within ourselves.
though there are ten spheros or ten emanations, the period of the Omer just focuses in on the bottom seven spherot, each week being one of these bottom seven, and each day of the week being one of the bottom seven as reflected through that week's particular quality. For a little perspective on the meaning of the spherot, here's a excerpt on the spherot by Rabbi Dr. Arthur Green from his book, Ehiyeh a Kabbalah for Tomorrow. Ein Sof, God as endless, limitless, undifferentiated reality, is the beginning and the end of truth. Everything else happens in between. The oneness of Ein Sof is absolute. It is a one that does not begin a series of numbers, a one so total that no two can possibly come after it, a one that includes all that ever was, is, and will be, cannot be followed by a two. Even if there can be no two, say the Kabbalists, there can be a ten. The one opens up to reveal itself as ten. The ten Svirot, numbers or stages or emanations, within the cosmic structure are not added to Ein Sof, the infinite, but are revealed as existing within it, the reward of a deeper gaze into reality and its nature. Using our Arabic, actually Indian-derived numerals, we may say that ten adds nothing but a zero to the one, but opens it to a deeper dimension. These stages are described in most Kabbalistic sources as the primal process, the steps by which the hidden mystery becomes the god of the Torah, the creator and revealer, the god of history and redemption. The contemporary Jewish mystic has to be somewhat more modest in the claims made for the, quote, truth, unquote, of the spherotic model. To say that I know how God emerges from the depths of mystery and sets out to create the world is far more than I would dare to assert in an in an, quote, objective, unquote, way. The important thing for today's seeker is to begin from experience, not from metaphysics. What the Kabbalist does know is how he or she, or they, emerges from those depths of mystery, returning from an experience of unity and loss of self, and reestablishes a firm grounding in the realm of ordinary consciousness. The spherot are stages of spiritual Ascent, going up the ladder of abstraction until one is fully lost or absorbed in the mystery of oneness. There are also rungs of descent, the return to this lower, quote-unquote, world of daily reality. Kabbalah claims that this path, one we can come to know through contemplative practice and whose truth is validated by inner experience, is the cosmic path and that our experience is only a recapitulation of God's own way into the world. The spherot may also be seen as an outer, inner axis rather than a vertical one, a model that will work better for some in our day. We make the journey inward toward oneness, to a deeper level of being, and return from it through the same ten stages to the external or outer reality of daily living. 
so too does God emerge out of the inner hidden depths to manifest in the unique surface form of each and every creature. It is a statement of faith, not a recital of fact, that the Kabbalist sees this inner process as recapitulating the origins of the cosmos itself. The human mind is a microcosm, a miniature replica of the divine. Each human being is the image of God. To the Kabbalist, this means that by turning inward, contemplating the inner stages by which the self emerges, we may gain some insight about the cosmic self as well. That was a little introduction from Rabbi Dr. Arthur Green on the Sfirot, the emanations, and their relationship to Ein Sof, the infinite. I'll just add to that that the Sfirot that we are counting during the Omer period are the inner or bottom seven Sfirot, and the top three are starting with the will to create and then moving to sort of intellectual sfirot. And the first sfirah that we count in this week is called chesed, and this is actually the fourth sfirah of the sfirot. And it is the first of the sfirot that really is active in the emotional world of a human being. As I said, this week, the first week of the Omer period, corresponds to the Sphira of Chesed, which I would translate loosely as love without limits. It really means an outpouring of energy, an outpouring of feelings, an outpouring of giving without any limits at all. I'm going to now read several texts that explain this further. The first text that I'm going to read from is called Sefer HaBahir, and it is a Kabbalistic text usually attributed to Nehunya ben Hakana, who was a first century rabbinic sage, but it was probably actually written more like around the 10th century in Babylonia, and maybe some elements of it were written in 12th century Provence. And it's a basic introduction to some concepts from Kabbalah, including the Svirot. So let's begin with this very short excerpt from the Sefer HaBahir. The Bahir says, What is the fourth utterance? The fourth is the righteousness of the divine, the divine mercies and kindness with the entire world. This is the right hand of the divine. Chesed manifests the divine's absolute, unlimited benevolence and kindness. The second excerpt I'm going to read is from the Zohar, a 13th century Kabbalistic work, probably by Rabbi Moshe de Leon, often attributed to the second century sage Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. This is from the Zohar 131b. 
And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Genesis 1.3 This is the light, chesed, that the Holy One, the Blessed Holy One, created in the beginning. It is the light of the eyes. This is the light which the Holy One showed to Adam, the first human being, through which they could see from one end of the world to the other. This is the light that the Holy One showed to David, who praised God and said, How great is your goodness, which you have hidden away for those that fear you. This is the light that the Holy One showed to Moses, through which he could see from Gilead to Don, when the Holy Blessed One foresaw that three evil generations would arise, namely the generation of Enosh, the generation of the flood, and the generation of the Tower of Babel, the divine hid the light away so they would not use it. The Holy Blessed One returned the light to Moses when he stood at Mount Sinai to receive the Torah, and he used it all his days. The children of Israel were unable to approach him until he covered his face with a veil. The third text is from the Tomer Devorah. This is a Kabbalistic text from 16th century Sfat, Safed in northern Israel, by Rabbi Moshe Cordovero. How should you train yourself in the quality of chesed, love without limits? The basic way you enter the mystery of chesed is by loving the divine to the extreme not abandoning devotion for any reason at all, since nothing attracts you in the least compared to loving the divine. So first attend to the demands of your devotion. The remainder of your time is for whatever else you need. Who is a chassid? One who acts in love toward the divine. In expressing love to creatures here below, intend that you are mending up above after the same pattern you thereby bestow love on the divine. As you can probably tell from this text, there are good qualities and challenging qualities to all of the spherot, and in particular this one, chesed. If unchecked and the sole focus of one's personality, chesed can end up in overzealousness and fanaticism. However, it is an essential human quality to cultivate this idea of love without limits. Now I'd like to read some more modern texts. This next text is from Rabbi Hillel Zeitlin, who was an early 20th century thinker who grew up Hasidic and then became secular and is really considered one of the founders of neo-Hasidism. First among all the qualities to be revealed was divine chesed. The world is built by chesed, olam chesed yibaneh, Psalm 89.3. 
God's very deepest desire, like that of any creator, is the joy of creativity. And what is this joy in its deepest essence? The desire to flow forth, to do good, to bestow life. Being created and drawing forth a form are one. When the creator desires to flow forth, to influence, and there is not yet anyone into whom to flow, the creator draws a form. The creator creates a form and pours all their love into it. Contemplate this further. The worlds were created, according to the Zohar, quote, so that they would make the divine known. All the hidden secret divine forces locked up within themselves, unknown and unrevealed, were sunk in a deep trance. Now they were to emerge from that wondrous hiding, from nothingness to real being, so that all the worlds above and below would be created and recognize the divine powers, so that trance would give way to wakefulness with all its clarity. This idea of the Zohar is as profound as the very depths of existence. It grasps the very purpose of a cosmic artistry. It helps us know why the endless brought everything forth from nothingness. Yet we still stand and wonder what would have been missing if it had all remained within the divine nothing? Could it be that the endless, called the complete perfection, lacked something without manifestation, acknowledgement, and recognition on the part of those created? The Hasidim explain these things with the help of words chosen from Rabbi Isaac Luria and other great teachers who preceded them. All was created because of the good's desire to do good. Quote, the purpose of creation was to allow God to bestow goodness in accord with God's desire. The whole enterprise of existence and the way it operates, including all individual beings, is only one, as established by the one who brought them forth. The divine purpose is doing good unto perfection in every imaginable way. The conditions that allow for this are those by which all exists." Unquote. Thus says Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzato, commenting on Luria, it is easy to understand how this ordering goes back to the quality of chesed. This is also the hidden joy within the divine will, the ancient one in the realm of Sfirot, but the primal man in the realm of words, the Creator sought not only to reveal the Creator's power and goodness, but that there be someone who could sense all this divine goodness. Thus began the process of emanation. The Creator wants creatures not only to feel goodness, love, and grace, but also to have a sense of freedom, of standing in their own domain. God gives us the eternal illusion that we, by our good deeds, actually create goodness. The divine wants us to view ourselves not as putty in the creator's hands, but as fellow creators. The source of life wants each one who emerges and branches forth from the divine to see their self as a source, a giver, not merely one who received everything as a gracious, free-willed gift. 
For the sake of this, a limit had to be placed on chesed, which was flowing forth without end. Thus were created judgment, reward and punishment, and the possibility of evil. The divine light came to be locked away within itself. So chesed emerged first, stretching forth without end. Then came Gevurah, its opposite. The divine light reduced and hidden. That was the section from Hillel Zeitlin. As you saw there, he started to move towards Gevurah, or Din, strength or judgment, which is the next week's Svira that we'll be focusing on. So I stopped there, and we can move in on that more next week. I'd now like to read a quote from... Next, I'm going to read a quote from a text by Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shalomi of Blessed Memory, also one of the founders of Neo-Hasidism, a late 20th century, early 21st century rabbi. Farginen, accepting the world we find it. Now, staying in touch with this place where you are right now, can you send out a broadcast to the whole world which carries the message, I forgive you, I bless you, and I wish you all the best in the world? I accept you, world, just as you are. I could be angry with you for not being what you could be, but I have chosen to love you for what you might still become. The attitude of seeing such a world and sending out such waves of Farginen is what we call chesed. As I said above, however, defining or describing gemilut chasadim as simply the doing of good deeds leaves out so much of the subtleties inherent in this concept. When we want to talk about a true reciprocity in modern Hebrew, we use the term gomlim. Yachas gomlim is the relationship of two who equally bestow upon one another, where there is real equity in the relationship. Thus, gimilut chasadim is the mutuality of that farginen and its expression in action. So the problem in gimilut chasadim is the establishment of that reciprocity and its implications. It was described well by a Yiddish poet by the name of Shlomo Edinger. In this poem story, he explores the issue of compassion like this. Reb Nachman, Reb Nachman, ihr send doch azah größer bal rachamin. You are such a master of compassion. You are talking to a person who is standing outside your door who says, It's so cold outside, have pity and let me in. So Reb Nachman says, I am such a great Balrachmonis, master of pity. I have so much pity that you haven't yet got to that place where enough of my pity has to be involved. Freeze a little longer, and then I'll let you in. You can hear both the satire in this and the profound question behind it. Why does a good God create mitzvot which depend upon someone else's suffering? 
It is only someone else's misfortune that makes Gimilut Chasadim such a great mitzvah. To say that God demands that we take care of orphans, to speak of God as the father of orphans and the protector of widows, also means to acknowledge that God is the very same one who took the father of the orphans and the husbands of the widows. You can't give God a bracha for one while forgetting the other side. What is going on, and why does God want some people to have and some not to have? That was from Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shalomi. Now, another quote from Rabbi Dr. Arthur Green. First to manifest is chesed, the grace or love of God. The emergence of God from hiding is an act filled with love, a promise of an endless showering of blessing and life on all beings, each of whom will continue this process of emerging from the one. This gift of love is beyond measure and without limit. The boundless compassion of Keter, the first Sphira, is now transposed into a love for each specific form and creature that is ever to emerge. The channel of grace is the original divine Shefa, the bounteous love of God of which the psalmist says, quote, his mercies are all over his work, unquote. Psalms 145.9. As we emerge from oneness, we too are filled with love for each and every creature. But the divine wisdom also understands that love alone is not the way to bring forth other beings and allow them their place. Love unbounded can be so powerful that it overwhelms the other, never allowing it to leave the first embrace and set forth on its own journey. Chesed therefore emerges linked to its own opposite, described as Din, the judgment of God, and as Gavura, the bastion of divine power. This is a force that measures and limits love, controlling the flow of chesed in accord with the needs, abilities, and deserts of those who are to receive it. Chesed is the god of love, calling forth in us the response of love. Chesed in the soul is our love of God and all of God's creatures, our ability to continue this divine flow, passing on to others the gift of love. He goes on to speak about Gevurah, strength, deen, judgment, limits, which is the next sphera, but we'll wait until next week to discuss that. Our last text is from Rachel Pollock, who is a 20th and 21st century poet, novelist, and interpreter of the tarot, a New Age thinker. And this is from her book called The Kabbalah Tree, A Journey of Balance and Growth. Having passed through such mysteries, we come to Chesed, the Sphira of Mercy. Chesed is the first day of creation, when God separated the light from the darkness. We use the term day loosely here, for in the biblical account, the sun and moon do not appear until the fourth day, Netzach. And of course, we know from modern science that the entire solar system did not come to life until very long after the Big Bang. 
Like so much else in Kabbalah, the seven days of creation do not mean 24-hour cycles, but stages. In other words, the Sfirot. In Chesed, the divine energy of pure being first enters into physical existence. Think of numbers and geometry. Number one, Keter, is a point. If you recall your geometry lessons, a point has no dimension. This is because Keter encompasses everything and so cannot be limited to any place. The number two connects one point with another so that we discover the single dimension of direction with a sense of purpose. Three gives us the possibility of three points and therefore different directions, but on a flat surface, a plane. Only when we get to four do we find the possibility of height or depth as well as surface. With four, in other words, physical reality becomes possible. Think of pyramids. They appear triangular, but if you imagine holding one in your hand, you will realize a pyramid consists of four sides, the bottom plus the three that rise upwards to the point. So four, chesed, brings the possibility of reality. We will see in a moment that the harshness and strictness of Gevurah comes because it introduces the dimension of time with all its possibilities of change and decay. Chesed tops the pillar of mercy and expansion in the lower seven Svirot. The golden dawn identified it with the planet Jupiter and the sky gods of various religions such as Zeus, Jupiter, Indra, and Thor. To our limited senses, the sky goes on forever, gentle, expansive, stretching into heaven itself. Of course, we can get hurricanes and lightning from the sky, but the overall effect is gentle and protective. From the sky, we get the air that keeps us alive at every moment. Remember that so many words for spirit or soul literally mean breath. Finally, we end with a Buddhist metta meditation from Jack Kornfield, a good Jewish Buddhist teacher. He starts with a quote from Walt Whitman. I am larger, better than I thought. I did not know I held so much goodness. Walt Whitman. This meditation uses words, images, and feelings to evoke a loving kindness and friendliness toward oneself and others. With each recitation of the phrases, we are expressing an intention, planting the seeds of loving wishes over and over in our heart. With a loving heart as the background, all that we attempt, all that we encounter will open and flow more easily. You can begin the practice of loving kindness by meditating for 15 or 20 minutes in a quiet place. Let yourself sit in a comfortable fashion. Let your body rest and be relaxed. Let your heart be soft. Let go of any plans or preoccupations. Begin with yourself. Breathe gently and recite inwardly the following traditional phrases directed toward your own well-being. You begin with yourself because without loving yourself, it is difficult to love others. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be safe from inner and outer dangers. May I be well in body and mind. May I be at ease and happy. 
May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be safe from inner and outer dangers. May I be well in body and mind. May I be at ease and happy. As you repeat these phrases, picture yourself as you are now and hold that image in a heart of loving kindness. Or perhaps you will find it easier to picture yourself as a young and beloved child. Adjust the words and images in any way you wish. Create the exact phrases that best open your heart of kindness. Repeat these phrases over and over again, letting the feelings permeate your body and mind. Practice this meditation for a number of weeks until the sense of loving kindness for yourself grows. Be aware that this meditation may at times feel mechanical or awkward. It can also bring up feelings contrary to loving kindness, feelings of irritation and anger. If this happens, it is especially important to be patient and kind toward yourself, allowing whatever arises to be received in a spirit of friendliness and kind affection. When you feel you have established some stronger sense of loving kindness for yourself, you can then expand your meditation to include others. After focusing on yourself for five or 10 minutes, choose a benefactor, someone in your life who has loved and truly cared for you. Picture this person and carefully recite the same phrases. May you be filled with loving kindness. May you be safe from inner and outer dangers. May you be well in body and mind. May you be at ease and happy. Let the image and feelings you have for your benefactors support the meditation. Whether the image or feelings are clear or not does not matter. In meditation, they will be subject to change. Simply continue to plant the seeds of loving wishes, repeating the phrases gently no matter what arises. Expressing gratitude to our benefactors is a natural form of love. In fact, some people find loving kindness for themselves so hard they begin their practice with a benefactor. This too is fine. The rule in loving kindness practice is to follow the way that most easily opens your heart. When loving kindness for your benefactor has developed, you can gradually begin to include other people in your meditation. Picturing each beloved person recite inwardly the same phrases, evoking a sense of loving kindness for each person in turn. After this, you can include others, spend some time wishing well to a wider circle of friends, then gradually extend your meditation to picture and include community members, neighbors, people everywhere, animals, all beings, the whole earth. Finally, include the difficult people in your life, even your enemies, wishing that they too may be filled with loving kindness and peace. This will take practice, but as your heart opens first to loved ones and friends, you will find that in the end, you don't want to close it anymore. Loving kindness can be practiced anywhere. You can use this meditation in traffic jams, in buses, and on airplanes. As you silently practice this meditation among people, you will come to feel a wonderful connection with them, the power of loving kindness. It will calm your mind and keep you connected to your heart.